0: With Turner and Seth, and Seth is just back from New York City, and a lot of lot of eventful things going on in the life of Seth Weiner. We'll get to that more detail in the in our outro. But in a nutshell, we already talked about. You have your auctioneering. Is it an auctioneering license? Yeah, it is. It is an auctioneer license. Yes. And we're we're actually going to uh, experience that in an event we're going to talk about in a minute. We We have the first of our live events we've just announced, Inside Out Live at the City Winery in Atlanta. They will not be, we won't be doing the podcast live yet, but we will be doing a live event from which we'll be culling um, sound for a podcast episode devoted exclusively to each event that we do.
1: And we also will be interviewing a subject uh, live, a live podcast, But let's, we'll
0: get back to that. And we have John Fishman, who I'm sure a lot of you are excited to hear about that. But here's the deal. Amy, your wife, surprised you with a trip to see, see, Seth was getting ready to see Fish and wasn't sure if he was going to pull it off. He wanted to just see three shows. Fish is doing a legendary run they're calling the Baker's Dozen. It's 13 different nights, each with a different donut theme. It's really historic time for the band because they are 33 years into their career and they're literally doing their defining run, arguably. Yeah, Which, how many bands can you say that about, that that deep into their career? You could say the Allmans in 2009, their 40th anniversary, they did a run at the Beacon that might be their greatest, and I know, no disrespect to Dwayne Allman, but look at all the different guests, and all the songs, and how well the band was playing, who else has a defining run that late in their career
1: yeah yeah I mean being being a fan for as many years as I have and seeing you know well over a hundred shows it, it amazes me that, that what they're capable of I mean they're, they're they're hitting moments from all their best moments and they're building shows around that and each night is uniquely different and, so, they, and, and what band has the ability you know for 25 years to to get inside your head and still be able to fuck with
0: you But let's, before we get on, get to that. But here's the thing Seth and Amy, who I both, I I love both of them, but they, they work in close contact and these two battle quite a bit. So, so when they're, when they're, when great things happen in the relationship, it totally warms my heart. You have no idea. It's euphoric. So, can you tell us how Amy surprised you for your 40th birthday?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, we were in uh, Massachusetts um, for my, uh, my, well, my wife and I, we adopted our son. So, we finalized the adoption. That's why we're on a, we were on our tour, um, and so we're we're celebrating the adoption. and All of a sudden, Amy comes out, you know, with everyone, with, a, with all the family there, and hands me three donuts with birthday candles on it, and uh, one of which she uh, nailed um, the, the flavor. But she, uh, which one had- was that? Cinnamon. See that
0: each night has a different uh, theme, a different flavor, a different theme, and then it impacts the music. Cinnamon only impacted one song, right? Whereas filled, impacted like the entire, but I'm getting away, go on.
1: No, but so yeah, so she surprised me. And here's the thing. So uh, right that weekend uh, on the adoption tour, if you will, the family tour, um, I call my sister up because I want to surprise Amy for her thirty-fifth birthday. See, I love, I'm loving this. And so I call up my sister uh, and I'm like, "Hey, Robin, would you be willing to watch our son, Daryl? You know, we adopted, we're about to adopt. He's been with us for you know for time, but um, for well, Saturday night, I'm I just take Amy for Saturday night. We'll be back. You know, meet, you know because I, I, Amy and I have been talking about trying to work in fish, but then it's like, no, we can't. We don't have the money. You know, we just we're just adopting our son. We can't do this. We, we can't so. It was out of my head. I'm like, then I'm like, no way. I mean, how am I gonna? How are we gonna be in Connecticut and not go see fish in New York City? So, um, I call my sister. She says she'll watch Daryl for the night. And then I find out that this whole thing was planned like for three months. My my sister's already been planning to watch our son for the you know for the weekend for us. Amy,
0: I love you. I love that. That was so awesome. Seth was so happy, and Seth's been working really hard this summer. There's been some. Some slaps in the face from the music industry that Seth always seems to get because he's too nice a guy and people are are mean to him. But uh, let's move on from that. Uh, some quick impressions because we are going to do a special Baker's Dozen episode. We're going to stick in next week. Uh, we're we're going to give you an extra episode. We have a special, a special fish expert guest. But my opinion, it's just amazing how much work they've put into this. And um, one thing, the biggest difference between fish when they, to me, when they came back in 09 from their most recent hiatus to, to what I've been watching from this run is that even when they're messy during the composed parts now, it doesn't derail them at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. And with point. regard
0: to Fuego, it actually took on a completely different character and 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 informed the jam in a new way. So they're at such a level now where you know still there's some slop here and there, but it's not in 09 or even as recently there was a there was a West Coast Fall Tour just a few years ago where they were sloppy and it was sucking away the energy. No, yeah. this is this they are on operating on all cylinders and mm-hmm. visibly excited to be playing. Particularly Mike, you know I love Mike Gordon, he's my man. It's so awesome seeing him just having
1: such a great time and visibly energized. Would you agree? A hundred percent. And the the conversation that they have with the audience is a long going one. And it's, um, it's a nonverbal conversation.
0: So you walk in, they, they hand you a donut. How, how, who's handing you the donuts? What, what?
1: Well, you'd have to get there early to get the donut, Rob. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, the early one gets the donut. Well, I don't even like donuts, so you wouldn't be... Really? Crying. I couldn't tell. I know. <laughs> hey, imagine how <what> I did? <laughs> um, yeah, it was not, we had a, our, our place that we were staying was literally across the street. You, so we would just, at 7.50, walk out of the room and go straight into the garden and right to our seats. I mean, and it, boom, as soon as we touched our seats, 8.06, the band started. It was perfect. Every as night. you
0: said, you've seen over 100 fish shows. Is the energy and the anticipation a little bit more... It's as it's always been. Everyone, but come on, this is 13 nights with no repeats, I know, different theme, they're it, busting out old stuff, they're doing new things, I mean, this is exciting it's, times. It's
1: extremely exciting, you you know, and, and that that's the thing, like you said earlier, uh, when we talked about Cinnamon, yeah, they, you know, we go a whole show where the show now is kind of more normal, there it, was almost, what, 10 or 12 songs in the first set, you know, we didn't, uh, uh, all of a sudden you're in kind of like a regular show as opposed to kind of what we've been seeing, and then... They close and with the encore, Cinnamon Girl. So it's like they they have this way of like doing exactly what they're gonna do, and it's never it's it's they're not predictable. They're not a predictable band. Even if they are predictable, they're not predictable. Not the greatest version of Cinnamon
0: Girl, but cool that they did it. And that's you know what I like the Sunday morning, which we we will play on this show, the Sunday morning that uh, Fishman sang. That was maybe my favorite, instantly
1: my favorite, one of my favorite Fishman song songs, the Velvet Underground thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's moments that are like the Chalk dust. It's like, are we still in Chalk Duts? Ha- that's probably one of the questions asked most frequently. Are we still in? Because Well, there's the shirt, Lomboy. Is this still <laughs> Lomboy? And Trey even
0: more? But we're talking to him. we got a yeah. whole episode coming on. Right, right. Some things real quick on the Fishman episode. Like right up front, there's some confusion about the name. Because he compares it to Beatles, which is Beat. And says it's like a Beatle thing. And it wasn't that I didn't understand that, it's just, but beat is a music reference, whereas Fish is not. That was my confusion on that area.
1: Ah.
0: And there's something else, but I don't know. Uh, people need to know Raul Racal and Carl Perazzo are drummers for Santana. Ah, uh-huh, yes. He yes. talks about them a good bit, particularly Carl Perazzo, who ended up in uh, whatever year the remaining light was, ninety six? He played yeah. He caught he went on the basically went on the road for three shows with fish and, and Three sick shows: one oh, yes. in Gainesville, one in West Palm, which they've released, mm-hmm. and then of course the Om- Omni Halloween, which they've also released. I, I didn't do Omni, but I did the other two. Oof, that Omni was something else. That's bold to cover Remain in Light is
1: bold.
0: <laughs> oh, Richie Hayward is Little Feet's drummer. Waiting for Columbus is the song they did in uh, <laughs> the record that they did in for Halloween 2010. We talk about that. Um, there was another bit of confusion, but I can't think of it right now.
2: hmm
1: Well, we'll just
0: hug it out at the end. No big deal. <laughs> he seemed to genuinely be having a good time. It was funny, because at the end... Well, go ahead.
1: No, just uh, just so everyone... When we go into this, uh, I want you to understand where we were. We were at the Fox Theater. That's right.
0: And we were trying to get sound for a Colonel Bruce tribute. Um, this is before the show, when everybody was all happy. This was before the roller coaster went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it is is geared toward Colonel Bruce, which th- uh, that's great. Thank you, Aquarium Rescue Unit. As Fishman says that Colonel Bruce told him at the show they met the fish ex- started in '83, but did not meet Colonel and Aquarium Rescue Unit until March something. Fish says the date of '90, and then the Horde tour started in '92. Mm-hmm. Those are more context for the interview.
1: Yep, and and uh, you know really we only were sp- we we grabbed Fishman and he was going to give us about ten to fifteen minutes. And it ended up almost an hour, yeah. and it's a point where you know uh, the, uh, Matt Wilson, who was producing the show, was running around looking for him. They came up and found him sitting with us, and they were waiting to do a sound check with him, so he had to abruptly jump right out of the room and go, and it was to be continued. So hopefully we will continue our conversation with the fisherman down the road. And I have a follow-up on that. He left his sunglasses,
0: remember? And you, you were doing the main work of, I was mainly staying out of the musician's way, because you know, it was all these musicians knew each other, all big names, and we didn't really want to bother them, but Seth knows a lot of them. Seth was more trying to arrange the interview. I kind of helped you with the JB and whatever. But in general, I was staying out of the way, right? So when he left the sunglasses, it was upon me to go get him back to him. <clears throat>
1: So Rob jumps on
0: stage. No, no, I just went, I went right out through the backstage. I'm walking by Derek Trucks, and Warren Hay, all these people, John Bell, they were all for some, I think they were doing the encore then. So everybody was out there. I just breeze right by him, go right up to Fisherman, hand him the sunglasses. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. I breeze right back out of there. It was weird. I'm just, excuse me, excuse me, very matter of fact, very businesslike, whereas inside I'm like, what, what? This is like the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, so that's, uh, that, that's where, where this interview took place. And um, oh, and uh, this uh, this show, Rob, uh, our engineer. Oh yes, Mr. Josh Thane. Thank you so much.
0: Uh, well, this is another episode where we had to do things last minute, and Josh uh, accommodated us. He uh, he is editing and mixing this episode as always. And um, if you want to check out his work, he, he works at Wonder Dog Sound Studios. But you can also check him out online, Josh Thane Productions. That's T H A N E, Josh Thane JoshThaneProductions.com, or Wonder Dog Sound Studio com, two places to check out his stuff. Thank you again so much for your work, Josh. Is Josh going to be with us at the uh, city winery?
1: He is. He definitely is. He's going to. His band's going to be there uh, performing in the first one. Yep. And he working
0: as an engineer as well, or just focusing nope, on the music? No,
1: nope, just uh, he'll be uh, Robert Quan will be our um, recording there live. Uh, one of the greats. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it's August 9th. It's at City Winery. We're going to start with a quick interview portion with... Uh,
1: uh, Gianrico Scott and... and Jeff Mosier. Reverend that's Jeff kind of Mosier. my little
0: part of the show. And then Seth has his auctioneering part, and then the games. Well, it's a night of music, <coughs> podcasting, and philanthropy. and
1: philanthropy. Yes, that's right. And so we're going to be raising uh, funds for the Colonel Bruce Foundation. Yes. Uh, we will be doing a live auction. We've got uh, Michael Weintraub print. That's a beautiful print of Colonel Bruce Hampton as a bartender. Great shot if you've never seen it. Uh, we'll be auctioning that. Off. We'll be auctioning off um, some other stuff as well. and All the details are on our website, InsideOutWTNS.com. And then it ends with music. I've offered to sing, but nobody seems to, to take, have taken me up well, on it. Well, it is a, a celebration of the music of Jerry Garcia. Yes, I used to. It front is the Grateful Dead Jerry Garcia cover band. Let's see. We have members
0: of Packway Handle Band will start us off. Then we have Migrant Worker. Then the Electromatics. And then we have a superstar band with Grant Green Jr., Yamrico Scott, Um, And Jeff Moser is going to play throughout with different folks, Mm -hmm. and it's only ten bucks. And we're and Seth's working on cheap beer.
1: Yeah, we're changing things up at the city winery for all this these series because we're going to do a reserved seating area and then open up the floor so that there's a standing room only as opposed to all seating, which now takes away the need to have just your own wait service because you can now go to cash bars, uh, for service. So it's gonna it's gonna free up the room, change the space a little bit. It's gonna be a lot different than what people are used to here at the Atlanta City Winery, uh, addressing some of those concerns. So we're excited about it. And the second one of the series is going to be September 19th, and that's where we're going to have DJ Logic. We're bringing dj logic in that's more of the theme of what we want to do is have a national
0: touring artist and bring them to town and feature them but also have pair them up
1: with the local artists go ahead yep and so we're going to start the night off by interviewing dj logic and then we're going to do an industry profile with steve lopez who's uh with widespread panic
0: And also has just done so many different things in the Mm -hmm. world of music. I've got plenty to ask him.
1: So that will be the podcast portion. The the philanthropy side is going to be We're Here For You. So if you've ever been to a show and they've given away free earplugs and you see the name, We're Here For You, that's the organization. Great company. And we are going to be doing a lot with them to raise some funds. So uh, we've got some really cool auction items, Uh, um, one of them being a guitar that's signed by everyone from Jimmy... Not Jimi Hendrix, but <laughs> That would be that'd be amazing though, right? That would
0: raise some money. <laughs> You're missing an elephant in the room though. Oh. What's that? Who's the other band playing? My favorite? Uh, my favorite well, Atlanta me, band right now?
1: Let me let me think here. Would it be <gasps> Voodoo Visionary Rob?
0: Yeah.
1: And they're going to be working in a bunch of Atlanta musicians to sit in with them, and DJ Logic. DJ Logic skipping around with Voodoo. That's going to be killer. Yes, sir. So yeah, that one. Well, we'll have a look, all the details. But you're not here to hear about that. You're here to hear the Fishman interview. So why don't we go right to that, Rob? Yes, please sit back, enjoy, crack a
0: crack a cold Vermont beer, and enjoy.
1: Nah, crack a Sammy.
3: I was just like, man, they invited me to come, and I really wanted to go to Del Fest, But, I, you know, it's like, you know, my, it's all right in the where all the kids, like, end of school talent shows and plays and all that stuff is happening, and it's like, uh, I can't really, I can't bail then, you know. And so, but, I mean, it's great. <clears throat> but, yeah, I think that Jam Cruise might have been, that might have been, like, the only gig I was ever... Yeah. I couldn't because I could go because I was sick. But yeah, I was. I didn't. You know, I used to. I, I remember that was the the only time I've ever had the flu because I remember thinking like, in the, you know, how I see Well, I don't know down here. You probably don't get like flu season, but oh, in, we do. in New England. You know, like so the winter comes along and everyone's getting sick, and and I would always say like I'll get a bad cold and I always just assume that was the flu. You know, like a, oh, I got the flu. Too. And there were flu shots they're given away and stuff, and I think man, why would you do that? I mean you know, you got to call your head stuffed up and you're coughing and you feel lousy for a few days. Well, you know, what? Why would, why would you go? That's crazy to go get a shot for that. And then that fucking thing laid me out for like nine days. And I mm-hmm. went, oh, this is what flu is. This is the thing that's that killed cold. a million people in 1918. Like I get, I remember like on day or three or four, I remember laying in bed and thinking to myself, you know, if I died right now, That'd be okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and like five days in, like, it segues from like flu to influenza, right? <laughs> like, like, I
3: was so, I was so laid out. And I didn't even really feel, it wasn't like that I felt, I was in pain or anything. I felt horrible. I was just so listless. And my brain was just so, I, I, I mean, I couldn't even, you couldn't even like get out of bed and walk to the bathroom. It was just like, that was a huge project, you know, just... Just getting like 20 feet across the room or whatever, and I remember thinking to myself like, if this is if this, if I were just didn't wake up, it'd be I mean like I wouldn't mind you know what I mean. It was just and I thought and then my next thought was, holy crap, that that's this is this is like a really bad sickness
1: you know. So like, do you get the flu shot now?
3: <clears throat> no, Because no. I, I don't. I I, was, I, was I don't like, get the flu shot. I don't get the flu shot. But I get I get but why? Well, I just I. It's just like flu season. I just always assumed I had always gotten the flu like everyone yeah. else every year. And then I realized, oh, no, this is different. Yeah. The flu really is uh, like, oof, man, that's a monster. Is that but, train? <clears throat>
1: yeah, it really...
3: Yeah, like there was no way I was going to go do a gig. I couldn't get on a plane and travel. Let alone go on a
1: freaking cruise where you get Uh, everyone else sick.
3: Oh, yeah. No, that would have been really horrible. I bet everybody would have died. Fish
1: attendance is down this year due to John Fishman getting half a cruise sick.
3: Yeah, that's true. That would have been downright (laughs) irresponsible.
1: Yeah. Holy smokes. And then. Uh, man, never mind. Let's we'll stop there. Well, shall we? Shall we jump in? Yeah, jump on in. We're we are still here at the Fox. We'll be here all day, Rob. We're still backstage
0: at the Fox for Hampton seventy, and we're with the drummer and somewhat namesake of
3: the <laughs> band Fish. Just somewhat namesake, John. No, Fishman. it's really not the namesake. Keep sort you, of.
0: You. Wasn't that your nickname? No.
3: No. Yeah. My, my, yeah. Fish something has always been my nickname. I mean my you know, like when your last name is Fishman, fish is a prefix for fish head, fish fuck, fish face, fish shit, you know, like growing up that was just and then when the band started I I I actually did throw fish as a name out there, but I didn't I really didn't mean to name it after myself. It was only because we were trying to think of a name that didn't if you call yourself Slayer, right, you got you have to slay. And if you call yourself fish, you don't have to be anything particular musically. You you can you you can you have the opportunity for the music to define the name rather than the name define the music. So the that object was to find a name that didn't define the music. You know, Metallica is mm-hmm. like, you're, you're, you're not going to be, it's unlikely that you'll be mm-hmm. a country band if you're calling yourself Metallica.
1: This is actually a lesson <clears throat> that Bruce Hampton te- teaches folks, and I've heard him talk about it. He, I mean, I remember a band when I was starting my career, I used to promote a band called Moonshine Still, and he would say to me, Bruce would say, they're never going to make it, they're named. And you just say they're, because of their name, you know, it's not just them, I mean, there's tons of bands, but then how much the name can weigh on a band? You have to present a certain sound, or you have to... And just
0: spelling it with a ph instead of the F is a kernel-esque kind of thing, is it not?
3: Well, I think that's a Beatles type of thing. Tell me. Well, I mean, the Beatles, you know, spelling... He's illiterate, you might have word, to help out. With beat, you know, the word beat in it as opposed to like Beatles like Beatles are B-E-E like the insect but the Beatles with a you know with like I mean it's and for its time I mean it's kind of cutesy you know but the Beatles is a good I mean it you know I mean it is a name that they had the opportunity You know, in the beginning it was love love me doing it it was kind of it's kind of a cute you know you, it it could be sort of a cutesy sort of name but it was in the beginning of rock and roll when like there weren't a lot of names out there. And, and, and so, you know, as they became more psychedelic and started doing, you know, like redefining music, the name Beatles still worked, you know, that it could be anything. But if they had called themselves, you know, Cattle Decapitation, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, that's that. I still you know. would love Within they and You. Would, well, they're my, well that's my, they're my favorite band right but now. But a lot I'm of
0: what of. I most love about Fish is similar to what I most love about The Colonel. Taking your craft seriously, not yourself. Constantly looking for new. Improvisation, pushing it to the hilt. Trying to do things differently. Break down genres, break down structures. Um, was was he an influence on the band early on, or was that not to the horde that he became an influence?
3: Oh, I, well, we didn't know Bruce until um, until we were uh I I can't what came first, the horde or the or the aquarium rescue unit playing gigs with fish? I guess he actually oh, Bruce just said March fifth, nineteen ninety. I don't know, remember that. So, that uh, so I guess first. that was so that was so the unit gigs were first. So so that's when we met Bruce with when Fish met Bruce when we did the aquarium rescue unit gigs with I can't even remember the first time I don't know if it was like we saw them somewhere and and Um, I I mean, we were trading gigs with Widespread Panic. Like, we were opening for Widespread, and they would come up north and open for us. And we were, like, both had kind of regional followings, and we're trying to just make our way around the country. And um, I I think, I guess it must have been one of those forays into the south playing with Widespread or something that we were introduced to ARU. And ARU, I think they were... Like, I mean, the details are so... This is 27 years ago. And, it all was into uh, one. But, you know, but, yeah, so I, they... Um, somewhere in there, we became introduced to them because they were in that whole group of people, and then and then, um, and then they, they... they Oh, I just remember them opening for us at the Wetlands in New York and stuff like that, and, you but know... But Fish
0: improvised a little bit early on, right? You guys really dug into the improv, started to in the 90s. Would you... Would oh you agree? well,
3: I mean, no, we were really influenced by the dad and the Allman Brothers and Santana and that whole improvisational element of earlier rock and roll. You know, the earlier generation of rock and and I mean, Bruce comes from that generation, but he was, you know, he he was this whole other, you know, neighborhood of of I mean, that you know, I, I was like. Fish was influenced by all that stuff, and that was where and jazz. I mean, heavily influenced by Joey Somerville, who's the the trumpet player on this gig today. You know, today I haven't seen him since oh, he moved down. He, he was a Burlington, Burlington, Vermont musician, and he moved to Burlington in '83, just like me and everybody in Fish did. And and um, I remember they, they Joey was part of the best group of the best sort of band in town there was a sneakers jazz band they played every tuesday night in this little tiny bar called sneakers and um we would go like every tuesday night after rehearsal and go see them and every once in a while someone from our band might sit in with them or something like that but mostly they played jazz standards There was a guy named james harvey who was the local kind of writing and arranging genius who Great horn arrangements and He ended up in Giant Country Horns, right? Yeah, James was on Giant was he on Giant well there was, and Dave Grippo, who was part of the Giant Country Horns. Ja- Dave and Joey and and James all played and you know, uh James was a really good drummer and piano player, but his main thing was, was trombone. So those guys all played together all the all the time and uh and you know, then when Fish had the giant country horns we, we called on them and um I can't remember if Joe was part of the original giant country horns he might have moved by then but at any rate you know so like I knew Joey for I don't know 15 years or something before um what was what was the uh, oh uh, what was
0: the original question? Let me rewind
1: here. <laughs> original, <laughs> he well, original. Just improvisation, oh, the
3: improvisation. Yeah,
0: yeah. Did the colonel light the fire a little more that you already were inspired by it? But seeing what A.R.U. did, did that in, at well, all? Well, I was
3: saying jazz and jazz and yeah. Joey being, you know, they, you know, they, they were. He was part of a band that, you know, we we would go and watch jazz every Tuesday with them and listen to a lot of jazz records, and, and then there were the the rock bands that were that were hugely influential in terms of improvisation. And, you know, and so that was always, I, th- I think, improvising was always right from the very beginning was a big part of what we were looking to do, for sure.
1: Well, let's change up the question. How has Bruce influenced you personally? Well,
3: Bruce, well... It's hard to say like it's hard <laughs> to really put your finger on it. I think I think that's his goal is to somehow be this invisible influence or something he um, I think I just always really related to Bruce and always I, I feel like for me when I met Bruce there was a, a like a kindred spirit in not taking yourself too seriously. I can really relate to that I, I, I've never been able to take any part of the whole like fame and I can't take any of that seriously I really can't I I, I, I completely (laughs) I completely respect you know fans who you know they like what you do and and they're very excited about it and stuff and they want to express however they want to express their excitement or gratitude about what it is that we or who, whatever you know artist that they like brings to their lives and that's great. I mean, I, I just I just um in Fish we have this word gauze. Gauzing. It's like if you you know, if you go up to somebody like, Oh man, you gauze are so amazing. You <laughs> gauze are so amazing. So we get, so he goes gauzing, like gauzing people. And I totally <laughs> gauzed Wally Denny Wally. Because <laughs> he he's, he's a fucking hero. Like I was like, oh my yeah. god, you're the guitar player on Shiny Beast Bad Chain Polar, which is you know, Captain Beat Fart, it's my favorite Beat Fart. Everyone always talks about Trap Mouth, Replica. That ah, great, whatever. Oh, me, I, I love that album too, but Shiny Beast is my favorite. It's, it's like what a Desert Island record for me. I mean, I would definitely, it's one of my most favorite records. And um, I've actually wanted to cover Suction Prints for years and Fish, but I, I don't think we'll ever get around to it. You know i got to go up in gauze you know denny and i'm not you know i mean that's the thing i i relate to it i'm i'm i found myself on the other side of that fence just as much as mm-hmm. i'm like i met elephant 's jail one time and oh. she said one sentence to me and i i like i will tell people about that the rest of my life oh elephant's jail spoke to me you know like i mean i get that i get it right but i, I can't take any of it seriously <laughs> like because i know when i'm you know like i know that Oh man! I mean, like you know, I, I I you know I get to meet Kurt Vonnegut. I, you know, and it was, I couldn't even I couldn't even fucking string together sentences. You know, talking to that guy. And it was and and I you know and so I completely get it. But at the same and I you know when I was talking to him, I I, I fully recognized the fact that he was graciously tolerating my you know <laughs> my gauzing. And, and, all, and so, and I try to return the favor. Like so, when people are like that to me, I I try to be. I was an asshole for one year.
2: I gassed you. I you. What Nineteen ninety seven.
3: It was my year of acting horribly. I just didn't know how to handle any measure of fame, and I was really getting pissed about it. And then, and then, and then, I actually met Vonnegut. and Vonnegut was the guy that he That's was funny. so nice to me and so gracious. And he's like hundreds of times more famous than I'll ever be. And I thought, you know what, if that guy can. Be as nice to me as he was. I I better fucking get my shit together here. It was 1998
1: what? Jazz Fest that I first met you, and I was I, I was think in, I was okay by then. I wasn't uh, well, as much of a mess. I was I, was, was, in, I was in I was in college, and you know, like I mean, you're fish, you know. So I'm like gauzing, as you'd say. <laughs> and I going to give you a hug.
4: It's a great word, isn't it? It's it's so great. I go, I go to give
1: my, you. My is gonna be mad. I tell, I yeah. gave away the secret. Yeah, Our podcast I has a, a new word. word. I, had, I had a bowl in my pocket, so I can't. That's how I came to meet you, <laughs> and then. I uh, I went to give you a hug I'm like hey uh, you were just my favorite I would going to give you a hug oh, you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. no man personal no, no, space yeah, 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 yeah. Well, still my friends fuck no, no, with me about that 20 no, no, years no, no. later that's okay though <laughs> no, I, I, like if I had walked up to try to hug Kurt Vaga,
3: he probably would have done the same thing and that's okay like <laughs> you're allowed personal space you're know, yeah, yeah, allowed
2: yeah. to say yeah.
3: that's like really your physical space like yeah. you know and uh, that's that's different. I think that's allowable. You're allowed to say no. Yeah, oh, you're allowed absolutely. To absolutely, say no, no to people's <laughs> sure. advances, right? But but you're not. But you're not allowed to be rude or mean or something, you know. Ah, and yeah, I think yeah, that, that for there was a year where my only rule now, and the only thing I, I still kind of I say no about it. I'm 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 pretty unapologetic about it. Is when, when people are waiting outside the hotel. Oh. You know, like when you get up in the morning, That's a little for stalkery. me, it's just the morning, and you're like, you get up and yeah. to, you go to sound check and stuff, and you know, you leave the hotel, and the first thing is like a wall of, you know, eBay guys with like shit to sign, and they want, and I just beeline it right to the yeah. bus, and I go right, and my bandmates all sign the stuff, and they, they think I'm a jerk for not doing that. But I, but I, I kind of like, you know, I, if you're going to be like waiting out, it's, it's a little stocky. It's a bit invasive. Yeah. yeah. But and waiting after I mean, the gig? Is no, that right? I mean, it's, no, after gigs, I mean, yeah. I mean well, we. Like, and fish gigs, it's like we go right to the bus and we leave usually anyway. But if for whatever reason I meet somebody after a gig and they want me to sign stuff, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's like after work and I can have a beer and hang mm-hmm. out and relax, you know. But before, it's like you have your routine and you're kind of trying to, you know. and... and and p- people are fucked up, man. They they use their kids and stuff. Like there's, oh. there's there was this one woman for a while, like when we were in the south, that she would like kind of always be there with her her son. Like here's my little boy comes, and I like the first time, of course, you're like, okay, I better just puppy rip. puppy. And I go right, and then and then he was always there with her. Like after that oh, yeah. I was like, wait a minute, I've seen this person before. And, and after a while, you're like, oh come on, man. Now That's the kids kinda 20, gross. 20. No. Yeah, I don't know, I, you know, and it it just ulterior motive stuff like that just I mean I would never i got five kids I would never use any of my kids to mm-hmm. get to like some famous athlete or something that I want that's come on well we're, we're anyway, t- anyway but but in Bruce you know the amazing thing is you know he's managed to and the people love him around here and he's you know he's he just walks that line of just having a, maintaining a level of excellence and in, in his, you know, his whole intent release and recovery theory, you know, and it and an excellence in intent, but, you know, he never is, is his, uh, you know, the, the fame part of it and all the other stuff that, um, it just, you know, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't take any of it seriously. And that, that's like kind of why I wear a dress. <laughs> I mean, the dress really represents, it's, you cannot put that thing on and go out on stage and take yourself seriously it 's over is it the here second i don 't have it no, <sighs> I only wear it for fish keys, but but it 's my uniform and fish you know it 's like I, I, that and for me, you know I walk out on stage and all the only thing I can possibly be there for is is music and and trying to play the music well because I certainly can 't. You know, I'm not gonna look good like Bowie or something. You know what I mean? Like there's no style to that. It's just like, what is this fucking you're like if you had never seen fish before and you come to a fish concert and you see me walk out in a dress, you're already probably a little like, uh eh, uh, so I, and then I'm already I put myself ready I have to earn it Like I've got to earn it Every single fucking night I've got to earn it again Because you think I'm a dork Like you're looking up there Like if you've never seen it You don't know anything about it Right I mean you might look at my bandmates And think whatever you think But you're going to look at the guy in the dress And go That guy's in the dress And it's kind of not even like a It's kind of torn and fucked up And it doesn't even look good <laughs> Like what? what's the deal here What did you bring me to honey you know what? Is, what did is, you really? You drag me out for this, right? Right, and then you know if we play well, then it's like oh, well, you know, the guy in the dress is well, he's a good drummer at least. He's right, yeah. and, like and, then, and, and then, then you bring out the vacuum, he, and really
1: confuse he, her. He looks like an idiot, but right, right, and then right,
3: and if the vacuum comes out, then it's really you know yeah, you are really like oh, heat back. You know, I mean, it's almost like that motherfucker better be able to play the drums or I am leaving. You know, this is <laughs> already, is so stupid. Is the original <laughs> dress
0: really in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <clears throat>
3: the, uh, the, do, the, the hot, hot dog, dog. is. Yeah, but isn't your dress too? I thought there was a real, uh, it, maybe. Kind of torn up one. <laughs> well, if it's the, the first one, it might be. I I don't I don't know I, don't, I can't remember. I mean, how amazing is that? <laughs> You'd think I would know. I know, but I don't know. But this little thing you started. I in... think I remember giving it to somebody in a. I thought it was in a club somewhere, like oh. in Ohio, like on someone's wall. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they had
0: club clothes, and they sold it to the.
3: I don't know, maybe. I <laughs> but don't do
0: you know. ever get to smell the roses? This little thing you started in a dorm in Burlington has blown into this big, freaking historic thing. Uh or is it just a blurry? I, you it's know, just- I
3: will say. I mean, and in, in not in, in the least bit arrogant, but I will say that I, I never, I'm, I never doubted. I I always felt that, like from what I knew from looking at music and the bands that I liked growing up, I felt like Fish had all the elements that could make a, a great band. Or make a band... I, so rather than say make a great band, that could make a a band that, that could survive in the world. I mean, because there's a lot of great bands. I, I think when bands... I, I mean, there's so many things that go into having a band be like your vehicle through life, right? I mean, and probably almost the least of it, the simplest square one of that is... Just, like, being able to um, have all of the musical elements that are needed. Like, you have to have good songwriting, and everyone needs to be able to get around their instrument pretty well. And, and and um, you know, there has to be a good work ethic and a willingness to, you know, um, you know prior you know (laughs) devote yourself to it and all that live with each other for (laughs) well well no well so what i mean adjust the musical part right just being able to have you know have good songwriting and good musicianship and and um you know a willingness to really stick your neck out at least singer i mean if you don't have like a david bowie in your band like if you you know there's has to be singing i mean we, we i think we work really hard at like harmonies and upping that part of our abilities but you know just and you have to have I mean, you have to have good lyrics at some point along the line. You know, like it, it took us a long time, but we've had good lyrics here and there. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's or I, there has to be some originality, I guess, a willingness to take a chance. But my my point is that at the very least, there has to be the the musical elements there for it to function well musically, right? That that just by itself, right? So you can you could hear "Fish" and go, "Well, this is." kind of like something i've heard before but kind of different and there's something about it i like musically you know On that then for something like for fish for 33 years to happen it has to be like you know all kinds of stuff that have nothing to do at all with music have to fall into place and that's where you get into personalities and you know Willingness to give and take, and the the desire to really, ma- you know, it's like marriage. I mean, you really like have to want it to work, and you have to get through difficult times, and like, it, and who's all your, kinds of just nothing. And, and and then the timing has to be good. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you just have to be in an environment, at a place and time in time, and like your culture's history, where what you're doing happens to be able to be a popular thing at the time, or something that everyone can get mm-hmm. on board who's, who's with. Who's the
1: band's marriage counselor? And not for personal marriage. I'm talking about band marriage, like, yeah. like you mentioned. Do you, have, you guys have, yeah, do you have disagreements?
2: That's,
3: that's yeah. There? No, I'd say all four of us. Um, I'd say all of us have played all of those roles, like at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there've just been different. Uh, there, there's just a lot of. Yeah, I would. I would. I would say that that role, that particular type of thing, of like somebody coming up with whatever the idea is at the time that's needed um, for what the best thing for the band would be I mean it really could come from anybody at any given time
0: quick question on the lyrics you're a young band you're putting classical fugues and writing these intricate songs was there not a conscious decision at all to to have the lyrics offset this intricacy kind of in a Zappa-esque way
3: well I mean there might have been I mean Zappa was certainly a huge influence for me and Trey but Mike and Paige could care less about Zappa I mean, they were not Zappa fans. Paige is a huge Who fan, loved the Stones, was a big jazz fan. Mike loves, like, uh, country and bluegrass. really deeply into that stuff. Um, I mean, you know, I, I I fell in love with Del McCurry's group, but I was introduced to that by Mike, you know? And, um, and I could probably think of examples of other, you know, classical or, you know, other things that I wouldn't have listened to if it weren't for one of my bandmates, you know? And... Uh, and, ha- and you know, definitely all... The, I mean, what I've learned is that all of the genres have their great players. You just have to find them and listen to them. You know, they all... But you know, there's no such thing as, like, a type of music that's sure. good or bad. You know, I I'm, may... I'm I kind of leaned... I mean, I'm, you know, my favorite music I listen to the most tends to be rock and roll or jazz. I don't listen to as much country or bluegrass. But, I mean, there's no way that I wouldn't put, you know strength in numbers or the seldom seen or the mccurry band or whatever in the same category or johnny cash or any of these people like in the same exact category with led zeppelin for me in terms of Mm -hmm. you know what i recognize as really great music And, and i enjoy listening to all of those groups as much as i ever listened to the stuff zappa or any of the stuff that i you know sort of automatically gravitated to as a kid um and you know it's it's uh so i mean i think that all of that as as we've all gotten older and and in it and you know i think all of us are pretty open-minded people maybe that's a be a big key factor in a band being able to function and, and live for a while too is um you know everybody's willing to really hear what the other person really hear what the other person has to offer and the whole yeah, is greater well, than the one sounds of It seems me like that's a
1: secret of marriage, and not just in, in, in a band marriage, but personal marriage any as well. human
3: relationship, <laughs> relationship any human right. endeavor. I mean, it's why our government is failing to function now because and no, no one's going to fix system. that. Well, yeah, they <laughs> for for select board, yeah. Let me
0: ask you this you've got to be, on the one hand, proud of some of the intricate drum beats and, 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 and in, in the composed sections of the early fish. But when you took the second hiatus that was five yeah, but years. You know what?
3: You should know that there's like. Like, a number of them that I didn't write. Trey wrote them on drum machines and handed them to me and was like, learn this. So what I
0: want to ask is when you took the second hiatus, which is five years, and then you come back in 2009 and have to learn all those, was there any element of regret? Like, why couldn't we write more simple crap? (laughs) Was it hard to relearn that stuff? It's so. I mean, I've talked to drummers who point out what you do and say, that's really difficult what he's doing right there. That's really hard to do, and he does it with ease.
3: Well... The, um, I mean, there's a couple songs. Like, all of us will sit around and go, oh, my God, we fucking relearn this. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell you which ones they are just because I don't want to, I don't want like... You it's know, Ice. But, no, no, actually, It's Ice is... Well, for me, I, I can't speak for the other guys, but for me, that one, for whatever reason, sticks, stays with me pretty easily. I, oh. That one's not... Um, that one, I that that was a beat that I came up with for the 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 riff the I wrote the beat for that based the riff had come first and so I wrote a beat around it and I actually um it's it's just a straight beat with like a little there's like a little kink in the end of the phrase and it's it's I don't know for whatever reason that one's easy for me to remember and um that weird thing in the middle that 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 dot that yeah. that thing is um it's actually easy to remember because it's a very it's a very structured it's three five and seven all on top of each other and it's a very very mechanically um like set thing you know so if you remember one little part like if you just get out of the gate right you, your body will fall mm-hmm. into the rest of it so a lot that of muscle one, memory in that yeah there's a lot of muscle memory in that one and yeah, you know, when when we had the big break and I had to come back and put that one back together. Like it is a little bit of a pain in the ass, but that one wasn't so, um, but there's others that are, that aren't as much, they don't have as much rhyme and reason. They aren't like a single structure from beginning to end. It's just quirky all the way through. And you just have to kind of, um, it's just, it's a memory. Like you just have to remember there's five of these. Now there's six of those, there's three of these, and then there's eight of those. And, and then, out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm out. And then, you know, and, and you have to not let what the other guys are doing fuck you up. And then you so but I've gotten with all those things that were like that. I've gotten to where now I can really hear the other people's parts and where my part relates to their parts. If I fall off and they're doing their part right, I can get back on. Uh-huh. But if if I'm listening to something that I still have to in that, in that thing, I still have to it's funny because those types of things because see to me in music the rule is i should be the last one i'm listening to right i don't want to be listening to me i want to be listening to what the other people are doing and then adjusting what i'm doing according to what i'm hearing them do right because three heads are better than one so if i get all my ideas from what's coming from their brains i never run out of ideas right and not that I'm going to mimic what they're doing, right? I'm not, gonna, I'm not there to mimic people, but, but you know, and we had a lot of improvisational exercises we were doing in rehearsal where they're, they're like, one, that's specifically a non-mimicking exercise where you do something and uh, and then you go and then you go and then I go, and then you have to change what you're doing. You go in a circle. You change what you're doing a little tiny bit. And then all of us collectively, the other three, then have to immediately alter what we're doing according to what your change inspired, but not mimicking you. We can't do what you're doing, but we have to,
1: whatever, whatever
3: that influence changed, I have to change what I'm doing and as quickly as possible, settle into the new pattern. And then when you hear that collectively, the whole unit has resettled into a new pattern, everyone says, Hey, right. And then when everyone said, Hey, then you go and you make a change and then all of us simultaneously change to that, and then you say, hey, then the next person goes, and you start to hear, you can really hear as a group, like the, the, the group becomes sort of one instrument. You can really hear when it settles in. You can really hear when one little piece is not quite settled into its new pattern. And the idea is to do it as quickly as possible with no aesthetic judgment whatsoever. This isn't about sounding good or anything. It's about just making, reacting as quickly as possible, finding a new pattern, not judging it at all but letting it, you know and then that started to take on its own sound and so then we did exercises to get away from that so that we wouldn't keep coming up with like little teeny short phrases that we'd have longer trains of thought and you know so one exercise would would solve one problem or address one um, you know aspect of music but then it would create a, a new question you know and so then you'd come up with an exercise to answer that address that question and then that would create another question and that just keeps going 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 and i think that's the endless universe of music is is that but so when i have to go and play certain parts where i really have to listen to myself to get through it i still feel like in the couple of places in our music where that's still the case i i um one of my long-term goals is to get so good at those parts that I really can listen to the, I can play it as if I were improvising and with the same looseness of my mental state. And I can, I can really get through it. Um, and really like whether, whether somebody else falls off their thing or not, I can adhere to it. Or I could even, if they fall off and I've got to go to where they are, I can actually even adjust what I'm doing and stay, you know, like, like, Kind of fall off my pattern and get right back on it to where, where their thing would be in my pattern. Like I, I want to get that flexible. That to me would be the highest level of those worked out sections. Is to is to get to where, even the hardest ones, I can, I can play. You know, with with enough ease that I can listen to everybody
1: else while I'm doing it. It's kind of almost like an outer body experience. Almost. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a little bit. Um, but there are some. That, I mean, definitely, we've in some <clears throat> times in our history have, you know, we've outwritten our like you know we like Trey's been good at writing stuff that mm-hmm. none of us, including himself, could play. <laughs> 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 you know, at at first, and we work really so hard good. to play it. But 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 then yeah, but then there's stuff that sure. I mean, and getting older, I mean, you know, I think all of us are still pretty pretty good at getting around our instruments. But you know, are you still doing those exercises that you speak of? Uh, no, not in the same sort of band practice ways that we have, but like a sound check. I mean, that stuff is so ingrained now that we're kind of always doing it. So even when you came back after five years, that part came back quickly and easily? Yeah, I think we did some of those exercises in the beginning when we were rehearsing for those, um... Uh, Hampton gigs were, were the, the ones that we did in yeah. March 09 that come back we did a bunch of rehearsals there were some of those exercises to kind of get back on the horse and everything but that's like when the four of us get together all of that stuff is really pretty unspoken now kind of I mean weird. you only get one fish in a lifetime I could never I mean as good as all the people in this room are and, and as many great musicians as are I would never be able to have enough time in my life to have all the conversations that I'd gotten through with the people and fish To to where all of us are just by second nature automatically know how Mm -hmm. we're all going into it. We're all going into this with this. uh, We all understand what we understand. We all understand the volume of what we understand about.
1: You know that that really that you just put words to a question that a lot of fans ask, which is how do these guys when you guys perform? There's a magic that takes place, and how does that happen? I think one of one of the ingredients is exactly what you just said. I mean, there's so much of you inside of each other, you know.
3: Well, a whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And, you know, Fish has been going for 33 years. And there's never been a point where we've stopped kind of developing ideas or how we approach things. Um, I mean, we've never mailed in the gig. You know, it's not like we all go separate ways. Can I speak to that?
0: The first time I saw you was a place called Molly's in Austin, Massachusetts. And it was pretty empty, and my friend musician John Shane, the first time he saw him, was at the Cat's Cradle in Chapel Hill. It was pretty empty, too. You guys come out and do a full two-set show and throw down anyways. That speaks to what you just said.
3: Well, I mean, you spend all those hours in the practice room, and you go go do a gig. You might as well do the gig. I mean, you know, you're playing. I don't... I've never cared. We... the, The reason we stopped... When we opened for Santana for a tour, because they were kind of an exception to the rule, which was we we weren't going to have bands open for us anymore, and we weren't going to... The reason we stopped having opening bands was because we realized audiences have a certain fatigue level. Like, you can only hear so much music before your ears start to get tired and stuff like that. So, like, if you... You know, if the Aquarium Rescue Unit or whoever... I mean, as much as I may love them or... Whoever, you know, it's like they're going to go out and play for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Then you're going to go play for another three, three and a half hours. I mean... It just wipes people out. I think by the... We would notice when we had opening bands that by the midway through the second set, the room would just start to clear out. And I don't think it was... I don't... I mean, it may be because we were sucking. I don't know. But <laughs> I just think it's like a lot. It's a lot to ask of an audience. And what if about music to a,
1: festivals? Though, well,
3: if you're going to a festival, it's kind of a different thing uh-huh. because there's all that other stuff going on. There's multiple stages. There's plenty of places to go get food and rest and all that kind of stuff. So people kind of pick and choose what they want. But I... I mean, there may be some people that will hang out there for eight hours and just go from stage to stage, but I'm guaranteeing you they're all nineteen fucking years old and they're're right well but but you know and but and and maybe if I'm at a festival, I might do that too like I'm just gonna catch everybody here I mean I mean when I go to the New Orleans jazz fest, I certainly did that I'd spend the whole day at the fairgrounds and go from tent to tent and when in doubt I went to the gospel tent and you know and and i and i I just uh And it was great, but that's what you're there for, you know? And I think when you go to see, you know, fish, like, I mean, when I would go see the Rolling Stones, and they always have like two or three opening acts everybody in that stadium doesn't give a fuck about the opening act. Right. They just want to see the Stones for Christ's right. sake. I get it. They're the Stones and you're going to sit there till the end of the world to watch them. But for the most part, I got to say, the three times I went to see the Stones, it was a fairly miserable experience because by the time the Stones came on, I was already like tired and hungry and hot and f- I'd been there for like five hours. You know what I mean? It was like... A, you know, and Jagger's prancing it, all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's still... It's not, uh, you know, if you're going to see a band, you're usually going to see that band and the other bands you're psyched to see maybe two. But anyway, that's why we stopped having openers. We were just stage pigs and we just decided we just want to <laughs> just play the whole gig ourselves. And then, and then we stopped opening for bands because we realized we'd rather play for five people that are there to see us than for 5,000 that are there to see somebody else, you know? Uh-huh. And the one exception we made was Santana at that point because we just felt like what they do... Is really compatible with what we were doing. That their audience actually probably would like us. It's not like yeah. Hendrix opening for the Monkees.
1: It wasn't that you, you know wanted a I mean? percussion player for a tour that you decided to open. No, for. but they had. <laughs> you sat in a bunch with them, right?
3: Well, well, I mean, Carlos is the most gracious host as a you know headlining band that you could ever encounter. I mean, the guy almost made us sit in with him every night. I mean, uh-huh. it, was, it was all four of us, too, would sit in with their band for, like, three songs every night. I just Did you just say anything or just, just go? Stand, no, it was a... I, I think it was, like, the certain... You know, he played pretty much the same show every night, except for, like, there would be two or three songs that would kind of be different, but there was always, like, the sort of the middle part of the show. He'd bring us out, and it was, like... I can't remember which songs, but... It was like Oyakomova, or you know, some ones that you'd be really familiar with, and and there'd be like there was a drum section, and you know, I'd be sitting there, I'd be standing there with Carl prazo and Raul. I mean, talk about being out of your, <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, I I just I, I love those guys, but I I was really it was intimidated. I believe Carl prazo and Raul Loco are like, and I'm standing between them with like a cowbell or something, <laughs> and, and, and Ken, you know, and Carl's going. Here's your pattern, man. You know this is what you play, and I would just play that and try to learn the different. Man, I had this one moment. I Raul uh, Carl. So I, I was, uh, you know, the Yamar, the song Yamar. Just like a little calypso beat. It, I play. It's like left-handed and a little kick drum pattern and snare pattern, and it's it's a pretty it's a pretty standard calypso groove. And um, I was playing that, and it, it was it was. Carl came into the rehearsal room and he saw me play and he goes oh man he goes let me show you the Aruba 6-8 this is cool you like it it's very similar to that so he sits down at the kit. and he, he plays it and I, I kind of grasp it but I, I'm i not you know I, I kind of need to sit with something and really work my way through it I, I can't I'm not really good at just like bite ear hearing like some really syncopated thing really quickly and just picking up what I mean, I'm not as much as you think I would be I'm not and so, I, I, and so a lot of times I transpose like I'll, I'll transcribe stuff I'll write it out and look at how everything lines up and go oh okay yeah and really like crawl through it to, to where I can get you know play it you know um well and uh so Carl says oh let me show you the Aruba 6.8 so he does it and and I sit down at the kit and I kind of get it and then he goes no no it's this and shows me and I kind of get to where I can roughly do it right and uh, and then he leaves the room. Right. And then they go do sound check. We go do the gig. And I had to go over some some material for that gig. And um, and then like the next day we're at whatever the next venue was. We're in Europe, you know, and and he comes in and he goes, hey, man, show me the Ruba 68. And I go, oh, I I didn't really you got to show that to me again, because I I didn't really internalize it. And I didn't get to work on it after you left the room because I had to do, you know, first rehearsal stuff. And he just looks at me, his head just drops and he just like shakes his head and, and turns around and he walks out. Ooh. <laughs> I Ouch. was like, no, come down! Come
2: down! And I swear
3: to God, ever since then, I've always like had this fantasy that I would go like out to Los Angeles for like a month and rent a rehearsal room and have Carl Perrazzo kick my ass for like a month. Just have him come every day and show me like an Aruba 6.8 like, one groove, and then I would learn that groove, and I'd sit there all day and learn that groove, and then I'd show it to him the next day, and then he'd show me, like, a new beat, and I would, like, do this for, like, a month, you know, that's, I've never gotten to do that, but I've always thought, I'm gonna call Carl one day, and I'm gonna ask him if he'll, you know, and because, and, and, but for the rest of that tour, I, I, like, I watched everything he did, and tried to learn as much as I could, and, you know, but, 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 that, so that was like an incredibly great music lesson I watched their whole show every night too it was amazing I used to think oh I'm not going to end up watching their whole show because it's like almost the same songs every night and then every fucking night I would end up watching the whole thing and then we would have to go on like you know <laughs> like before the, the worst was we'd get back to the United States and, and then Carlos calls us and says hey I'm not my ticket sales are down in the northeast United States you guys are doing real well there Can, could I open for you? <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> and I think that they actually opened for. I think it's like yes. some nightmare that may or may not have occurred in my head, but like <laughs> I kind of remember them opening for fish in the northeast and every night thinking, Our career is over. Like, it's like, <laughs> this, like that's like you know, this army of like great musicians getting on. Stage. I mean, Titan is from a drummer's perspective, it's like uh, I know, but I don't know, we survived those things, I, you know. So, well, in, correct me if I'm wrong, Carl's the only. Percussionist you brought on the road,
0: starting here at well, the Omni in '95 at, at Halloween, and then you went down and did a couple in Florida. Yeah, have you well, ever- he,
3: I think he was just in Florida. I think he just, I, I think he just sat in with us there. He was just visiting or something. Because, sure, three but, gigs
0: in a row though. You, that's the only time you've ever done that. Yeah, was it so? maybe it was, so yeah, maybe, it was maybe that was
3: planned ahead of time. Yeah, it was Atlanta. Yeah, well, well, we had to, we had him for um, Remain in Light because there's so many parts on Remain. There's so many vocal and percussion parts that you, you just couldn't I mean every I had that was actually the first album that I sang anything I, that's the first time I did any vocals background or otherwise I think like in I mean there may be some well, other well Revolution songs, number 9 no 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 but I mean in terms of fish songs oh okay, okay. like doing um,
1: I thought you had first album no cover. for the
3: Halloween albums I think all of us like would take at least one lead vocal on something. I think that was kind of the idea with the Halloween okay. stuff. But but as far as singing and playing drums at the same gotcha. time, I okay. think Remain in Light was the first time I ever had to do that. Leaving
4: unnoted Condition of mercy.
3: i remember when i was learning it thinking oh i'm not going to be able to like i don't know how to sing and play at the same time and then remaining light was like the perfect album to learn that with because the drum beats are all real um pretty consistent uh and so the the thing that was would change was the vocal so rhythmically it was learning how to fit the 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 you know the vocal phrasing into these beats that remained consistent throughout the song so um and then then that gave me the confidence to go and like i learned that 50 ways to leave your lover beat and learned how to sing that with with the beat which is i screwed that up in la because i got deer in the headlights and (laughs) fucking forgot the lyrics for a second but but, uh but but uh it happens but but the um that was the first, and uh, but there but there were so many vocal parts in that album that even the four of us the, we we needed to hire other like we needed Carl and I think there was like maybe another another um, was Carl was there five was there Bruce came up for that didn't he didn't or no it was. Uh, Dominic Plaque at the end, that big meltdown at the end. It was our bus driver. Yes. I trying to remember oh. who else, was. but um, there's great video that exists of that because they showed of, it in Indio. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of vocal over layers of vocal and, and. Was that
0: the most difficult of the of the Halloween albums? Was that the most difficult to prepare for?
3: Um, for me, um, for me, waiting for Columbus. Was the hardest one to prepare for because um, Richie Hayward. Rich, uh, there are parts, there are drum parts on that record that I just can't play. I just can't, and not the parts, but like certain fills and that, like that little drum solo in "Night and Day" that goes from "Night and Day" to the to the to the outro to "Night and Day," and then I think it goes. I guess it was, yeah, it's just like a drum break, and then it goes back to the vocals. I. I still can't figure out what the fuck he was doing that. I mean, I, I know what he was doing. I don't know how he did it that fluidly or like You know, I just don't. I've never had chops like like Sipe. I mean, I don't. I, don't, I just don't have those those chops. Sipe's know? amazing. This guy's ridiculous. But I have I have I have good weird coordination, and I I can play multiple time signatures and whatever. But I don't have. I can I can superimpose a lot of things over each other. But I but I don't. My roles and my and my, my rudimentary skills are actually fairly s-
1: mediocre. Sounds I like mean, you need to book a ticket to LA for no, a month. No, I
3: mean, I, I have I got 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 a a thing from uh, Alan Dawson, who used to run the Berkeley School Music's drum department, and now there's a guy, um, John. Oh, I don't know, forgetting his last name now, but. Um, but uh, Bob Galati is a drum teacher at, at Berkeley now too. Um he's been teaching in the Boston area for years. He's been a drummer in a band called The Fringe for like forty years. I would say he, he may be the best drummer I've ever seen play, Galati. And uh man, I, I don't even know where to start with that guy. But um you know, he he's like superimposes he 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 um transposes uh Charlie Parker Saxel was onto the drums and and huh. and then, then was wow. working. I talked to him a long time ago. He was saying he was working on like the, the John Coltrane book and doing that and <clears throat> saying how that was even harder and and um just a tremendous player. And he gave me this thing called the Ritual, which was a, a series of drum. It's they, all of the American and Swiss drum rudiments, just a, you know all the standard rudiments, but they're they're strung together with a a foot a samba foot pattern underneath them at you um and they're put together in such a way that when you go from one to the other it's it's like the most awkward transition for your hand motion like so if you have like one rudiment where the left hand is doing like a full stroke and the right hand is kind of staying near the head then the next line is going to be opposite you're going to have to start the next line with the Right hand in a full stroke position. So it's like you know?
0: anti-muscle memory. It,
3: yeah, right. And it, it takes you through sort of the most difficult route to get through all of those huh. rudiments. And so I'm currently working on that. He gave that to me a year ago. And I'm still crawling through it. Like, I am I suck at this stuff. It's awesome that you're working like,
1: on it, though. There's a lot of drivers <laughs> that just get comfortable. No, you know? I will I mean, never
3: – no, I will never – They'll, I'm not going to get comfortable until I'm dead. Like I really, like I really, as long as I can, as long as until the day comes where I have diminishing returns to the point where I can't actually learn anymore. Like if, like there'll never be a point where I can't learn anymore, but but where I can't accomplish the task. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if like by working at it diligently, I just you know whatever like. I've got Alzheimer's or something, and it's just like, I'm done, then I'm done, right? That's it. I mean, we're all going to run into that sometime, but until that day comes, you know, I figure I'm still in school. Well, (laughs) speaking of having Alzheimer's,
0: it's funny how sometimes the band isn't aware of some of the things that are most special to the fans. You were on a radio program in Maine once, and somebody called in and talked about the second jam in Mike's song that you guys used to do and that you didn't do anymore I
3: have a radio show actually on WBFY 100.9 FM every Wednesday night from 9 to 11 yeah but yeah. this was before
0: that when you guested I think it was a uh, same station and you were like what are you talking about but then down here in Nashville you guys once ended up doing it and it, it's just kind of funny that I mean do, do you remember what I'm talking about how Mike song has a whole second jam Someone called in and asked you about it, and then oh, yeah. you, you yeah. didn't even... Did the other guys remember when you brought it back to the band? I,
3: You know, I don't know. I don't think anyone remembered that. My cousin actually um, mentioned something about that to me, and then didn't we... Did we do it? We did Down it. here in Nashville, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because uh, I People think... People went shit. Well, right. Somebody... Right. Somebody said that was the thing that our audience was even aware of, and I wasn't even... Oh. All right.
1: Gotta go. Thanks, John. Right. Back. You. Yeah, sure.
0: Thank you again, John Fishman, for generously giving us his time. Remember, we're backstage at the Fox. All his friends, other musicians are around. That's one of the tricky things about landing these interviews. On the one hand, a lot of these folks were excited to talk about the Colonel, but on the other hand, we were taking them away from a very unique social situation for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: yeah, absolutely. That's, uh... I was, I was amazed that we were able to sit down with as many people that we did, because exactly that. I mean, the, this is their time to really hang and what a hang it was for them um in the beginning and we're
0: going to be rolling out some more of these actually quite frankly some of them i still haven't heard yet even though it was over a quarter a year ago but um time flies what happened man where did the i don't know i mean it was just january but i'm dying to hear the rest of these interviews i really hope i get to hear them soon but we have some of them uh ready to go and uh, what are some of the other episodes we have coming up uh, we still have the main squeeze and big something yeah, the main squeeze. We talk about the colonel, and and uh, we talk about uh, Brandon during the main squeeze. Mm-hmm. And we also have a wonderful guitar player, Marcus. Marcus King. What a great guy. Mm-hmm. I think Marcus. I could hang out with Marcus. I really felt like a. a well, kismet. actually,
1: you can't. I don't know if you see this here. We, this came uh, in another here. restraining order. To be Robert Turner, you may. You have to technically stand. These musicians are so. Ugh. And then the thing is, I have to sign for these things when they come to the office.
0: Whatever, so it's I put so my hand on his leg. Thing. I put
1: my hand on his leg one time.
0: It wasn't that. It was the sweat that was. Just that. It was that that. I did, have, Ugh, I did show so up sweaty, gross. Seth was freaking out But the, the interview got moved back So I went, that that band um, that I still hadn't gotten to see Was on stage It doesn't matter Lake Street Dive yes. I, Every you, time they come I miss for one reason or another You could have heard
1: them from where we no, were No you couldn't, yes. come on you Maybe could. a casual industry viewer doesn't really need to Listener Maybe a professional really need podcaster to, would be clean and dry for their subject Not like, <laughs> so smart Can, is, that a, is, that a, is that a towel? No it's your shirt Oh it's fine He <laughs> loved it He got a kick out of it
0: so, a big month um, in, uh, in, in, if I sing this song to you, Seth, tell, tell me why I'm singing this song. Okay? Okay. All well. that you touch, and all that you see, all you taste, all you feel. Why am I singing that? Did you see Roger Water? I did. Oh, yeah. That was one thing I want to talk about. But also, <laughs> there's two major eclipses coming this month.
2: Oh. And that is
0: eclipse. Yes, Roger Water's played here in uh, Gwinnett in Duluth. Fantastic show. Very gripping. I thought the political stuff was going to be more in your face than it was. But it um, it was pretty spot on. A lot of it was using the man's words, own words. And how can you complain about that if someone's quoting someone's, you know, they didn't seem to be lifted out of context too much. Powerful music. The second set. If you go see Roger Waters, do not miss the beginning of the second set. The gradual buildup to the second set and then the first two songs of the second set are absolutely incredible. Jonathan Wilson, who I know from... he. Open for Neil Young in Europe. He uh, was working with Bob Weir for a while back in the, when TRI was very active with the webcast. He's the second guitarist and singing a lot of the Gilmore parts with, with Roger Waters now. He was fantastic, dude. Great show. But as far as eclipses, August 7th, lunar eclipse. August 21, solar eclipse right here in Atlanta. is one of the best places in the world to see the August 21. So come on down, people. Come to Atlanta. Come on. Isn't Humphreys down here then, too? Humphreys kids, come so. down here, watch Eclipse, and then go tour with Humphreys.
1: Speaking of Humphreys, is the uh, interview secured yet? You know, I have worked it out with
0: Joel, but um, the guy Matt I'm supposed to work it out with hasn't responded to the email, but we'll have to just work out the logistics. Yes, I've got some Humphreys stuff on the burn. I'm running up to North Carolina to see... actually going to see Government Mule with Galactic, because I'm working when they play here. Ooh. And then... Two Humphrey Shows. going to do one interview for the Timeless Music Podcast. We're going to do a roundtable on heavy metal. Is heavy metal timeless, stuff? Did you guys release your first episode yet?
1: No. We're about to.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I was going to try to make it a monthly. Well, it is
1: timeless, so uh, that's... Exactly. Well
0: named. (laughs) I think instead of doing it a monthly, we're going to have to just do seasonal. Annually? (laughs) No. Stop. (laughs) I did want to have the second one recorded before I released the first. Oh, yeah.
1: I understand something of that. Well... I was supposed to go up there this month, and that changed
0: because I had to go to Florida. So yes. Well, our condolences to you, Rob. Yes, and thank you to the New England Baptist Hospital for moving the date of the memorial service from my father to accommodate uh, our event, our live event, because we would have probably not gotten a live event at City Winery again if we had canceled that one.
1: Quite possible.
0: <laughs> Anything else, Seth?
1: Yeah. How you doing?
0: I'm doing okay. How you doing? I'm
1: excited. We're on the cusp of some great things here. We are, and I have an observation I wanted to bring up to you. Okay. Do you notice how many freaking shows there are? I mean, and I'm talking about Atlanta, but I'm sure this is a national trend. It seems like people are going out again to see music in a big way. Now, granted, there's like a there's waits, there's a venue overload here. Like there's like a every day it's like popcorn, a new a new venue, a new venue. There's like so many venues and all so unique, right? But What's going on? Like I think the more plastique and kind of BS
0: the regular world gets, the more uh, attractive the kind of more real world of music and the real experience of, of losing yourself in the art becomes of value, maybe.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's really more that- of an
0: escape. The world is becoming more, I
1: don't know, kind of BS. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Veneer. Yeah. And then, what's up with the chain smokers? Medicine Square Garden is not meant for smoking, and I noticed that like that the chain smoking—it's the like, band you're talking no, about? No, no. Some of it's it. I, I thought I thought e-cigarettes were on the rise, but uh, all of a sudden, maybe it's just where I was sitting. But you know, this one one of the nights I got I got like in a smoke cloud. Now I, I don't mind certain types of smoke clouds, but the c- c- cigarette ones kind of get me after a while. I try to be I try to be. It's like that in talking. I try to focus. Talking's the worst thing. I don't need the the smoke. Doesn't bother
0: me the the, crazy, the combo of the, the crazy dancing doesn't bother me as long as it's not too out of control as long as it's in rhythm with the music because if you're dancing yourself you can you actually vibe with someone if they're really locked into the music mm-hmm. my back actually I feel sore from dancing <laughs> it's just the talking and you know what I noticed I was on a plane the other day Seth uh-huh. and there were kids crying their eyes out and being really loud and everybody around was bothered and I'm sitting there thinking to myself uh, there must be Seth this kid. isn't really this isn't really bothering me you know mm. It's talking at shows. Yeah, that's what gets me, especially when they're when the bands are playing quietly. How was the garden? When the, the, they got uh, kind of quiet there a couple they're, times. They're,
1: so like uh, in the beginning, it's such a social thing, right? So like I remember like uh, the the last night that I went, which was Sunday night. Um, I got one of the little uh, fortune cookie size uh, um, notes that had a little donut on it. It's like donut not talk during this set or something. Oh, like beautiful! That. So, so I had in my pocket to give away, and I was ready to give it away for a song. The, the chatter behind me was like kind of like. Uh, it, it, it hit the point where it's like you can whisper in each other's ears for what you're saying you don't need to yell it but i'm like amy i'm gonna give it, and she's like no 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 not yet hold it you know because you don't want to be a dick on the first song and i right. and so i oh, to no, wait see so, who's a real habitual yeah. yacker and they stopped they definitely stopped nice whereas the night before they were kept yapping and then they would stop yapping and they would turn to like they would uh, the, amy was right next to this group and they would um they were the. T- they would sing like the, the parts of the song, saying "now like na 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 nah, nah, nah. It's just like they look, look turn to her and start like na naing the uh, the riff.
0: See, I would think at this run it'd be easy. Any any song they play, you can just say, "Hey, look, they're not going to do this song again uh-huh. for the rest of this <laughs> run." Could you <laughs> shut up and listen to it? <laughs> you could. Can I give a shout out to Reagan? It is her birthday. Oh. Reagan plus twelve. Uh, she has her own section at the show tonight. And uh, I'm sure... Is this section 112? <laughs> I think she'll get she'll get a shout-out. here. That's one of my predictions. Reagan will get a shout-out from the stage tonight. Here's my other predictions, uh-huh. Seth. Because I, the, you know I love Scott Bernstein. You do. And he did an article that uh, 10 Things Fish Should Do but for the Summer Tour, and they've done nine of them, and one remains. And also, Billy Joel had the previous record of a 12-night run. Mm-hmm. And there was... Uh, a hilarious but fallacious story about Billy Joel saying something about fish a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I ran with it. It was great fodder for comedy. But in the reality was that he didn't say it. It was fantasy tour.
1: You know, oh, really? Stuff. He really didn't say no. it? Is
0: that a fact? That's the, that's the power of the fantasy tour. Oh, wow. They create truths. Kind of like the Donald Trump of the internet. The fantasy tour. Well, uh, it is a
1: fantasy. So
0: here's my prediction. Uh-huh, go the final it. night, Billy Joel as a guest. It's possible.
1: I, I like it. I'm...
0: I uh, only the good do thirteen shows without repeats. Duh, 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 <laughs> duh, 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 duh. Only the good do thirteen shows without repeats. Duh, 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 duh.
1: Again, I, I this is I still understand how a band like this can still get in my fucking head, and I know I'm not the only one. I talked to I have saw like high school friends of mine, you know, people from you know twenty twenty five years that we've been seeing fish together. Here's my thought: you, you know I'm I'm critical of them at
0: times. You're extremely critical and critical of the fan base at times, but uh, the over celebrating stuff, recent stuff. But what they're doing right now at Madison Square Garden is truly amazing and historic and so impressive to me. I'm 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 loving this. And and you know what? Deadheads this is something the Grateful Dead never, ever, ever would have been able to do. And I love them, they're my favorite, but you gotta respect fish. Thirteen nights without a repeat that's just insane yeah. and, and and the covers that they're breaking out they're, they're doing really good stuff they're the jams are, are they're listening to each other really well this is, this is great yeah. stuff this is great stuff they're at
1: their best and they're, they're at their best there's no doubt about it I, I don't know how I'm gonna go the rest of the week without uh, coughing up for a couch tour <laughs>
0: by the last two uh, well no I have to work I'm not the ones I was gonna watch would have been this week mm. I, have to, I have to yeah I can't watch any of them live they're expensive, anyways.
1: They're they do really a great expensive. job
0: with it, but if I if I paid for every webcast that I would want to watch of every band, I would be broke. So I can't. And you want, want me to review your webcast? You know, email us insideoutwtns at gmail. Let us know when you have a webcast coming up. If you want, I'll watch it and I'll review it on the show. But I'm or, not. I, I'm not shelling out 20, 30 bucks. Or if you have three a, times a week, no. Have
1: a business that you want to sponsor the yeah. podcast. We're also open for that, and then sure. we can afford the webcast. Even our own. better, then I'll buy all the webcasts <laughs> you want. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, welcome, new listeners. New listeners, check out our past shows. We've got a bunch of them. Yeah, fish fans. Chris Carota was on. Deadheads, we had Tom Hamilton from uh, Russo's Almost
0: Dead and um, Billy and the Kids. And of and- course, our
1: indie rock fans, don't forget the Zipper Club.
0: Oh, I love Zipper Club. Oh, such a great band. If you're looking for a new band to dive into, check out our Zipper Club
1: episode. I think it's 33, Larry Bird episode. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. A- he was a basketball player, Seth. You're listening to Sports Radio with Rob Turner. <laughs>
4: There's always someone around you who will call It's nothing at all Sunday morning And I've fallen I've got a feeling I don't want to know all the streets you crossed not so long ago. Watch out, the world's behind you. There's always someone around you who will call. It's nothing at all. Every day. Oh, you get your ass handed to you every day. You get your ass handed to you every day. You get your ass handed to you every day. You get handed your own ass every day.
2: I'm oh. see